Okay, um, in this session, just the, I've, I've just pressed record, and I know that uh, in the second half we're going to do a bit more talking and asking questions. This one may not be put up on the podcast. It's not for that. It's just for a, a few of our people if you want to hear. You know what I mean? It's not. doesn't mean everybody's going to be. that makes sense? Yes. So if you say something, don't think, oh, you know, the whole world's going to hear that podcast. The 18 people who listen to us on podcasts, you know. Um, one of the questions asked in the break um, by uh, somebody was how do we respond to the, the, this doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do now is, um, I don't know if you know, but you, we read from John 14 and John 16. <coughs> I don't know if you noticed, but in between is John 15. And we're going to read from that now, which answers part of that question. So thanks, Jack. John, you're going to stand up and talk loud. Um, one to 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Oh, thanks, Jack. <clears throat> We're going to come back to that passage in a minute anyway. But um, first, I, I wanted to talk through just a bit on my notes. I'm not, and, and then we're going to, so just for the first bit, we'll talk about the, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, we're going to answer some questions. Because I've asked a number of really, really good questions, which will be fun to talk about. But first, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. As promised, Jesus said, wait, after when he was raised, wait around here, 40 days, was it 40 days? About that, maybe 50. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And they were gathered together, uh, they were praying, and uh, there the, the Holy Spirit was poured out on a number of people. We know that story, about 120 of them were gathered. Uh, and um, as, as predicted, yes. Now, the Pentecost was actually called, even though it started as uh, the giving of the law, it became known as the, fe- the, 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 the feast of the first fruits. And really, the, Holy, the coming of the Holy Spirit began the church as we know it now. 
the church is completely reliant and driven and guided by the Holy Spirit in everything. Yeah? They can't have a church without the Holy Spirit. That, that's not a thing. So the church was born, really, at Pentecost. Sometimes people have a birthday cake on Pentecost for the beginning of the church, which is, which is fair. And then, so what happened is, the 120 people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went out talking in strange languages, and I'll talk about that in a minute uh, too, what was happening there. And, and by the end of the day, there were 3,000 converts. That's pretty good policy, isn't it? 3,000 from 120 in one day. That's pretty good. And then we're told a bit later on that there was 5,000 people meeting in the temple when Peter was speaking. That's uh, incredible growth by the Holy Spirit. And uh, many people were being forgiven of their sins. So this great gift of forgiveness was coming by the Spirit uh, through the cross. Uh, and there was a boldness that the... the, the the disciples were completely changed right up to the time of the cross and uh, they, you know, they all run away, didn't they? And then all of a sudden, threatened with beatings and the like, they're standing up and professing their faith in front of people, basic people like us, but filled with the Holy Spirit, able to bear witness to Jesus um, in front of groups, regardless of the fact that they would be persecuted and, and poorly treated because of that. Okay. Uh, we're told that the Spirit reveals the justification that is that would be made right with God through Christ and, and also the, the Holy Spirit brings cleansing, which is talking about sanctification, the fact that we're ongoingly being... Uh, ongoingly is a word, by the way. We are ongoingly being cleansed and washed by the Holy Spirit through the cross again. This happening to us all the time. Who, to all who are born again of the Spirit, that means we have a new life by the Spirit. We are new creations by the Spirit. And, and all of a sudden, the law, which brings death, because, you know, if, if I say to you, the law says you shall not lie, that kills you because you're all liars, right? Anybody here hasn't lied? Okay, we're all liars. Okay, the law brings death, but what the Spirit brings is life and freedom because the Spirit brings to us the truth of Christ that our sins have been forgiven, that we've been made right for God, and not only that, we will be made, we are being made right for God. So that actually, the Spirit brings freedom from the law by applying the work of the cross and resurrection to us. Okay. And the Holy Spirit witnesses that we are children of God. And as I said before, he cries out in us, Abba, Father. And we know that to be true. There is no greater gift than to know God as Father. And the Holy Spirit brings that gift to us. I know we sing this song uh, sometimes, or we used to. Uh, I am a child of God. And we'd say over and over again, I am a child of God, I am a child of God. <laughs> And, 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 and we can know that truth, but not by chanting it over and over again. Right? It, it is a fact because of something. You see, what we don't ever want to do, and we're going to talk about this with regard to one of the questions asked as well, we don't want to leave the Holy Spirit in this emotional feelings area. Yep. Although he is the, the one who brings emotions and feelings, he's also the God of fact. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of 
truth. Right, that's truth. Truth is real. Yep. So, so if we if we put the Holy Spirit in this subjective kind of, I feel good today. I, you know, the Holy Spirit's alive in me. I feel bad today. The Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know what that means. Um, do you understand? That's weird when he's the spirit of truth. So he brings a fact to us. We are children of God through Christ. But if you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can sing, I am a child of God, till the cows come home, and it won't make any difference because you're not. Make sense? Okay. And the Holy Spirit prophesies regarding the testimony of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, says um, uh, Revelation 19. In other words, as we bear witness to Jesus, the Holy Spirit brings that prophecy through us. And prophecy is actually all about the word of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. When people start, start saying they've, they've got prophecies and it doesn't relate to Jesus or anything he's done or it's not based on what he's done, you've got to go, well, that might be something, but it ain't prophecy. Prophecies always has Christ as the basis because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So that, that's a pretty big point. People getting up and saying, speaking stuff over people is not necessarily prophecy. Sometimes it's just trying to give nice words. But if you only ever give someone nice words, well, you might leave them in a very bad place. They might need the spirit of truth. Do you understand? Because we heard uh, in the verse this morning that the Holy Spirit brings a conviction of sin. Is that good? Yeah. Oh, but I think the Holy Spirit there to give us all positive feelings. The Holy Spirit brings us a conviction of sin so that we confess our sins and we, and we receive the forgiveness of God and we, we're close to him. Do you understand the difference? It's very good to have the spirit of conviction what would be a terrible thing is if we live with people who are stuck in their sin and we say, I affirm you in that. <laughs> Imagine if the Holy Spirit did that. Oh, I know you're in this terrible sin, but that's okay. No, the Holy Spirit brings a conviction of sin so that people turn from their sin and come to Christ. Because he also brings not only a conviction of sin, but a conviction of righteousness through Christ. You don't want to be, you know, I know there's kind of a truth in it. Jesus loves you just the way you are. There's a big lie in that too. He doesn't. He loves you so much, he changes you from the way you are. He doesn't leave you the way you are. So if you're kind of saying to yourself, oh, it's okay, it's okay. No, sometimes we might just have to say, it's not okay. The Holy Spirit, when I have these yucky feelings, sometimes you might just say, is that the Holy Spirit telling me I should change? Did that make sense to you? Okay. What I'm saying is this. The Holy Spirit brings to us fact and truth about Christ, which brings fact and truth about ourselves without Christ. We need him. We are sinners without him. So um, the sign of revival of the Holy Spirit coming is conviction of sin comes first if someone says oh we're all alive in the spirit because we're all dancing and shouting and doing weirdo things that's not the coming of the spirit comes first with a, a, a conviction of sin so that on the day of Pentecost when Peter got up 
this quiet fisherman, he speaks to everybody. He tells them this is what's going on with the Spirit and this is what happened with Jesus. And by the way, you all crucified him. Then what happens to the people? They are cut to the heart by what? The Holy Spirit. And then they become Christians. Until you're cut to the heart, you can't change. Um, it, it, we, we can be very quick as Christians to kind of put ointment on a sore that might need to be out in the sun a bit to heal, if you know what I mean. Oh, that's a very bad example. <laughs> when someone comes to you um, and says, I'm feeling really convicted of this sin, we can be very quick to say, oh, it's okay though, but you know, it's all been forgiven. It might, it might be good for us to say, it sounds like the Holy Spirit's really convicting you and, and you need to know that that's actually wrong. And then we go to forgiveness because you can see what, that's kind of part of repentance, isn't it? To see that we need to change. So, the sign of revival is a conviction of sin, not a big church. A big church is not necessarily, it can be, but it's not necessarily a sign of revival. Revival comes, firstly, through the conviction of sin. And if you have a church that never talks about sin, then you probably don't have the Holy Spirit in that church. That's a bit of an ouch thing. Because if the Holy Spirit brings a conviction of sin and, the Holy, and there's ne- never a conviction of sin, is the Holy Spirit there? Okay. Am I being too harsh? Okay. The Holy Spirit comes, they're convicted of sin and they are converted. They are changed and they become new, confident people who speak before others of the truth of Christ and they don't care what happens. The Holy Spirit gives them such a, uh, a strength in him. Okay. And Jesus says in Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will, give, he will cause you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit will do that in you, cause you to become my witnesses. That's witnesses to Jesus. And then if you, what you understand there, it's at the start of the book of Acts, that's basically what happens in the book of Acts. You see, that's in chapter 1. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes to um, Jerusalem. Yep, the day of Pentecost. But then a, a bit later in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit comes to the Samaritans. That's like the Samaritans' Pentecost. And then in chapter 10, when uh, Peter goes to um, the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit comes to the ends of the earth, to the rest of the book. Can you see? It's like Pentecost, Pentecost, Pentecost in a sense, as laid out in, the, in Acts 1 verse 8. <coughs> you get what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit takes the message of the cross of Christ to the whole earth and they are converted and they are changed. And they are made new. Um, now, uh, John the Baptist spoke of being baptised with the Holy Spirit. Yep. When he comes, you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, when he comes, you will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He might say, he just, am, I, am I just playing with words to say that? The baptism of the Holy Spirit or being baptised with the Holy I'm not playing with words. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is never talked about as a noun. The why? 
because it's an ongoing and never-ending process and the Holy Spirit comes and baptises and he re-baptises and he's saying, it is a happening that comes by the Holy Spirit. When people say, oh, have you had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as if it's a once-off thing or when you got that power kick, you know, just if you want that sort of baptism of the Holy Spirit, go and get some of those high-energy drinks, have nine of them, take three no-dos, and you've got the same feeling because that's not the Holy Spirit. Okay? No, I would know a lot about that, wouldn't he? Um, <laughs> um, no, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something far deeper when you're drawn into a relationship with God and then you are bold to speak of Christ. You're alive. To be baptised with the Holy Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit, come to Christ, because uh, that's what he says. Repent, each one of you, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. It says be baptised as well. Um, but it's like the prerequisites to be baptised are faith and repentance. You know, before you, before you baptise, you faith and repentance. Or, uh, and, and, but also, you see... When people say, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. The Holy Spirit brings you the change to bring you to repentance and faith. And then, he, and then you get baptised with the Holy Spirit because you have repentance and faith. The Holy Spirit came first and second. It's all his work. Do you understand? Without the Holy Spirit, there's no real repentance and there is no real faith. Okay. Because, you see, if the Holy Spirit brings a conviction of sin, you can't repent without a conviction of sin. So he brings you the conviction of sin, and then you repent, and then you are baptised with the Spirit. It's all the work of God. Okay, I just wanted to lay out that before we look at some issues. And and the first one we're going to look at is uh, uh, about what's our response to this. And John 15 doesn't really talk about the Holy Spirit in the same way that John 14 and John 16 is, but it's all about the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Uh, sorry, I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that, does, that bears no fruit. While every branch in me uh, that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And if you've got a Bible there and you see that word prunes, you might see it's got a little footnote thing by it. And you go down the bottom and it doesn't say prunes, it says cleans. That's because the, the Greek word there is not prunes, it's cleans. Except for in context, it's clear he's talking about pruning. But the pruning that, that, that comes to us is actually a cleansing of the Holy Spirit who's constantly pruning us by cleansing us. How do you get made better and better and more fruitful for the work of God? By the pruning and the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. Not by the jigger of the Holy Spirit. You know, the jig, what's that, the cattle prod. That's not it. He cleanses you so that you are actually more fit for his work and you're better at doing it. That's why in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, when uh, uh, Peter says you're going to become more and more effective and productive... And, you, and it goes on to you'll be loving more and doing all these things. And it says, but if you've forgotten this, you've forgotten that you've been forgiven of your past sins. In other words, he, the Holy Spirit brings to us a cleansing and a knowledge of our forgiveness of sins. And that's what makes us effective. Not yelling at people and revving them up. That's not what makes you effective. The ongoing cleansing and washing of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Remain in me. 
And I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It, mu- it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in, him, in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is talking about you are the vine. Yeah, sorry, Jesus is the vine, you are the branches. You're connected. What makes the vines uh, the branches stay alive? It's the sap running through from the vine to them. If you cut them off, they're cut off from the source, which is Christ. The Holy Spirit flows from Christ to us constantly. And as long as we're connected to him, we have life and we bear fruit and it's good. And we're being cleansed and washed and we're made fit for, yep, fit for his work. Without being connected to Christ by the Holy Spirit, you can do nothing. That's what it said. You hear that? Apart from the Holy Spirit, you can do nothing. I mean, yeah, you can do lots in life. Nothing useful. Nothing that's worth anything. Nothing for God without the Holy Spirit. Can you see that? It is crucial that we do everything by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So if you want to turn over to page three, if you're following in the notes, and that's got there the work of the Holy Spirit... This is still talking about what's our response to this uh, about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved in every facet of time and space. That's big. But there is a personal demand for us to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Or that, that's go on being filled with the Holy Spirit from Ephesians 5.18. Which is also the same words as Jesus saying when he says, remain in me. Remain connected to me. We must not simply study the Holy Spirit, we must obey the Holy Spirit and continue to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be aglow with the Spirit, which is kind of a, a, a that's Romans twelve eleven, where it says to be on, in, in the Greek it's sort of like to be on fire with the Holy Spirit. But you see, all this is actually about obedience and, and doing what's right, but it's also foundationally, as from our last talk, is about being in a relationship with God. You don't want to start doing work as a church or as a Christian without it coming from the intimate relationship you have with God by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, without me, you can do nothing. It's connected, we are connected to God in a relationship with him. The believer is completely reliant on the Spirit for all that they do. We can fail to obey the Spirit. We can fail to walk by the Spirit. Okay? We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We must be able to because Paul says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay? What does that mean, Derek? Okay. Um, I think it means that a, a disobedience, in, and particularly, often we would think about a disobedience in respect to disobeying laws, but I think it's, it's, it's by living our lives without Christ. It grieves the Spirit of God or it quenches the Spirit of God. Uh, I'll, I'll, just, I'll come back to that in a sec if I just read the next bit. Thank you. Um, we can quench the Spirit. Here the power of the Spirit is diminished and things such as prayer, love, guidance, fellowship and ministry and, and are lessened in their effectiveness. 
In other words, if we don't live our life remaining in Christ with the Holy Spirit flowing through us, we're actually not as useful as we can be. This is not saying that we've become non-Christians because to go back to the example from 1 Corinthians 3 we talked about before where it says your work will be tested by fire. It says even if your work is straw, it will be burned up but you yourself will be saved, although your works will be worthless. Does that make sense? But it, it, it means quite simply that we actually, by not walking with connected to Christ, we're not looking to him at all the time. Without being in prayer to the Father, we're not living by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we kind of become less effective. Obviously, if we can't do anything without him. How do you go with that? It's a bit of a heavy point, but... How does that work? I asked a couple of Bible studies ago about that verse where it talks about the prayer of a righteous man. Being, God listens to the prayer of a righteous man. Oh, that's not. That's only for men. So, um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a joke. Okay, but, but they're, they're, I think, like what you wrote down there is sort of what I was getting at. Yeah. So, uh, what is a righteous man? A righteous man is how are we made righteous. The righteousness of God comes to us by faith. And therefore, Paul says, the righteous shall live by faith and walk by faith. So we live by faith, which is by trusting in God, which is remaining in Christ, which is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? So we, we stay very close to the gospel. We stay very close to God at all times. And then... The prayer, our prayer of faith has much power, is that what it says? Or avails much, something like that. Yep. Did I answer your question? Um, don't think, what, again, we don't want to be in that place where we make faith work. Because otherwise what you believe is that faith is sort of this thing you play in your mind where you try really, really, really hard to believe that it's true. So then you get people who are praying for Fraser's ankle and they go, Dad, just make sure you have no doubts and believe. Like, if that was the case, the Holy Spirit could heal nobody. You understand? It's not based on us really, really believing it in our heads. It's based on the power of God. And how much faith do we need? Well, it says a mustard seed of faith because our faith is in the one who can do those things. It's not based on us. You understand? If we make faith this work of our head, then as soon as we have doubts, you get charlatans who'll say, well, you know, Fraser's ankle will be healed, but if there's one person in the room who doubts, well, it's not going to happen. It's like, what a lot of rubbish. If there's one person in the room who's praying, that's enough. If everyone else thinks, oh, it's not true. Because it's a work of God. Am I making sense? I don't want to go into a big spiel about healing, but it doesn't matter what that prayer is for. It's about faith, which means trusting God, not trusting yourself. So if you have a mustard seed of trust in God, then your prayer is incredibly effective, which is, I think we spend most of our lives just having that mustard seed, which is okay. Yeah, did I bring up more questions there? Okay. So um, I think that what I've said there is to answer the question. I'll read that last paragraph of that 
uh, section, being filled with the Spirit is in our spirits, and by the Spirit, being baptised in the Holy Spirit is ultimately personal and real. Fruit of obedience and reliance on God or faith is born in us. And we are in constant need of new seasons of refreshing in the Spirit as we remember our first love. We're continually filled as we continually trust in God. We live a life of faith where the Holy Spirit is active in us. That's in answer to the question about um, that, what is our response. Did that answer that adequately? Um, the assurance of the Spirit um, in in John fourteen and some people we got into a discussion about emotions uh, and also uh, how do we know? Sometimes people will say, "Well, you know because you know because you know," and there's a truth in that, but there's kind of another truth in that too, because. That means when you don't feel like you really know, if you're not sure if you know, then you don't know. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, It's not just about our knowing. It's not based in our feelings. It's actually based in fact. Yeah? The Holy Spirit doesn't bring to you Christ as a feeling. He has forgiven your sins. It's a fact. Yeah? So, again, he's the spirit of truth. But he says in, um, Jesus says in, where are we? Chapter 14, verse 26. But the counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. He will bring to you fact, truth. He is the spirit of truth. When do we need that? All the time. The Holy Spirit is always bringing to us that truth. He does it through other Christians. He does it as we read the scriptures. He does it as we pray. The Holy Spirit is renewing us through, uh, through the knowledge of the fact of what Jesus has done for you. And then he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Well, that's feelings, isn't it? He brings us feelings too. Feelings of peace. Why? Because we know fact. When you... When you when you rely on God, if your faith is in something you think you can build up in your head, some sort of belief if you really, really believe, or because you know, because you know, because you know, right? What you don't, you don't, you need fact. Because it's in fact that you base solid faith on truth. Do you get that? The feelings follow, and the feelings are real, and the feelings are alive. The Holy Spirit brings us joy. Isn't that awesome? but it comes because he has actually done something of fact and without knowing Christ Christ, the peace and joy that we feel is very fleeting indeed and it's misplaced that's why he says not peace as this world gives you I'm not talking about peace that the world talks about I'm talking about a different peace which comes by the spirit so Yes, we have emotions, and yes, the Holy Spirit deals with our emotions, but first he brings the truth of Christ and the truth of the Father. What about the intercession of the Spirit? That's another question asked. From, and, and um, you know, John 8 speaks of that. It says this, John eight twenty six. 
Uh, well, I'll go 25. But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. So it's talking about waiting on God and hoping patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Which weakness is that? We don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So the Spirit, in a sense, leads us in prayer. And sometimes we don't even know. Sometimes we, 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 we're back to praying for Fraser. We don't know why we're going to pray for Fraser. The Spirit leads us. And sometimes we don't even know how those words go. But we just pray and the Holy Spirit uses our prayers and it's beyond words. You ever, you ever find yourself tongue-tied in prayer where you just don't know what, you don't know how to express to God what you want to say? It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us and takes those prayers and takes them to the Father and they're real for us. But of course, it does finish by say, saying, the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Yeah? So it's not just praying for anything, hey? in the Holy Spirit and asking God to bless them. Otherwise, I'd have that red XR8 I keep talking about. Yeah, It's not going to happen. It's not God's will. The Spirit leads us in accordance with God's will and we pray in accordance with God's will. And so, and so we pray. Does that make sense? I just want to talk about tongues, particularly on the day of Pentecost. People get wound up in tongues. I just remind people that um, Paul says at one point in 1 Corinthians 14, do all people speak in tongues? Do, he started by saying, do all people prophesy? Do all people do this? Do all people do that? And the answer is no. Okay, but just, just say no. Okay, in Genesis 1, we create an image of God. Okay? The cross restores us to the image of God. Okay. In Genesis 3, we see the sin and separation yeah, that comes through sin, separation from God. Yep. That's fixed up also by the cross, isn't it? In Genesis 4, we have the introduction of something called death. Yeah? And the resurrection restores that through Christ. Yeah? In Genesis uh, 6, we talked about that, we have this... Uh, that my spirit will no longer contend with you. Yep, the spirit is, we're at war with the spirit, but then the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and no longer do we contend with the Holy Spirit, we love the Holy Spirit. The war now becomes the war of sin versus flesh, but we in our, in our new creations are not at war with the spirit anymore. And then in Genesis 10, what I'm saying is Genesis 1 to 11 is a part of the Bible which, which shows the, the problems that we have and that the, the, um, the cross, the resurrection and the coming of the Spirit fix shows the answer of God's restoration of those problems. Because in Genesis 11, you've got people gathering together to build a city and uh, they build a great idol, a tower, and they're going to be as good as God and, and all of that. And God confuses their language, doesn't he? And he scatters them across the whole earth. Yeah? But on the day of Pentecost, suddenly there are people there from all over and they start speaking in languages and there is a bringing back together under a common language. But it's not a common language as we know language. It's a common language of the spirit of the salvation of God that comes through Christ. 
So there's a restoration of the scattering that is brought, that is, that is fixed up. And so the other times where it says the Holy Spirit come, you know, I said it's uh, to Jerusalem, to uh, Samaria, they all speak in tongues because there's a bringing back together. And to the Gentiles in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 10 of Acts, there's, there's they all speak in tongues because it's, it's a restoration of the scattering of the people of the earth. And they speak one language, praising God and speaking the truth of Christ. What I'm saying is what's happening in the cross, the resurrection and the coming of the Spirit is a restoration of God's plans as from the beginning. And that's where I'll stop talking about that one. Has anyone got any questions on these things? Or other questions that you'd like to talk about? Ah, Megan, sorry. The hand sanitizer. Okay. Right. The word sanitizer comes about cleansing from bacteria, right? It's where we get the word also sanctification, which is a cleansing that comes by the Holy Spirit. A complete washing so there ain't no bacteria, no sin left on us at all. That's that's what we need to know about. Well done, Mary. Yeah. Smells awesome. Good on you, girl. <laughs> Go on, what, was the, what was the word you just... Sanitise to sanctify. It comes from the same basis, washing and cleansing. Go on, Tao. you feel with the Holy Spirit? Very, very good question. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to do new verses. I'll just do what um, I already have. Uh, in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, um, Verse 36, Peter says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the hearts, and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, um, firstly, he's saying repent. That means turn from whatever you're trusting in, turn from your own ways, turn from your sin. It doesn't mean you have to confess every sin because you don't even know every sin. But it does mean you turn from yourself to God. Um, Being baptised, now we could say you don't need to be baptised to be saved, which is quite true. But if you become saved, I think you should be baptised. And there's a pool there this afternoon, by the way, if anyone's up for it. No, we haven't finished yet, Megan. But, um, but you will uh, so be baptised as a sign of what Christ has done for you. He's washed you. And um, 
for the forgiveness of your sins, when you have your sins forgiven through Christ. So it's when you trust in Christ, you have faith, you have repentance. Baptism naturally flows from that. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Um, and <coughs> you weren't here for the first session, but I read this uh, verse from Romans 8, verse 9. It says this, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And you're going, now does the Spirit of God live, live in me? Have I been baptised with the Holy Spirit? If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Okay, so if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. It's when you trust in Christ that you receive the Spirit of Christ. So, have you repented of your sins? Have you turned to Christ? Have you put your faith in Him? You have the Holy Spirit. Are you necessarily walking with the Spirit as you should? Well, we talked about there's grieving and there's quenching and stuff like that. But the truth is, you receive the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. Yep. And, uh, no, I, I, sorry, I, I just want to point out one more thing. This is with regard to the baptism of the Holy Spirit versus baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to just look at Peter for a second. Because in, when Jesus was first resurrected... He said um, he appeared to them and um, it says Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Yep, that's Peter was there. But in Acts 2, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But then in Acts 4, they were all praying and the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think Peter, at one point, gets up before the Sanhedrin filled with the Holy Spirit. There's not a one-sole thing going on here. Can you see what I'm saying? That's the danger of saying, have I received the Holy Spirit? Yes, you did at birth, at, not at birth, at new birth, right? When you were born again. But go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing activity through trusting in Jesus. Um, That'll happen after lunch. We'll stop with those questions. Is there any more questions on the Holy Spirit? You certainly may. Did I answer your question, Tao? Derek, with the Holy Spirit and working within our lives and everything, we, we don't always need to be doing some crazy adventurous thing, do we? Like no, no. no. Um, the, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not crazy and adventurous. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is normal life. That's what we were made for. Normal life. Being filled with the Spirit while you're doing carpentry. Definitely. And then you would know, if you haven't read uh, Exodus 35, verses 30 to 35, you find the tradesmen then are filled with the Holy Spirit to do their trades work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you, you see, the Holy Spirit is part of all of your life. Normal. It's not about, it's not about being excited and carrying on like a pork chop. Which is often, I, I'd say that because that's often associated with being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's silly. Um, surely uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit could be laying in bed and praying quietly in your head. Yeah. Yeah. 
Then I'm going to ask um, Rob if you'll pray for us. You're right now. You're right now.